This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to The Roundtable. I'm Andy McCullough. We're here with Mark Carrig. And Mark, it only took... Nine episodes, but here on episode 10, we finally got rid of Grant Brisby. <laughs> I love it. It feels like old timers day. Turn it yeah. back to 2020. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the summer of 2020. Everything's going great. That's not my recollection. No, it's actually a pretty bad time. Uh, no, <laughs> Grant is on vacation for the week, so it's just Mark and I uh, flying, not exactly solo, flying as a duo, going to riff, going to talk some ball, going to talk some social justice, going to talk about a, a city called New York. But first, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Phillies did not listen to our podcast last week in which we said it made no, there was no point in firing Joe Girardi, and they fired Joe Girardi. What do you think of that? Yeah, sure sounds like the uh, fans got their wish. They wanted a head on a stake, and John Middleton, he of spending stupid money, delivered said head on a stake. So, of course, the Phillies look like a playoff team since that happened. I'm sure that's a total, total correlation to this. The dorks will say so. But, yeah, they wanted their pound of flesh, and, boy, they got it. Yeah, I mean, look. Joe Girardi's a grown-up. He handled this, you know, like a grown-up. He understood, you know, that this was sort of the deal the team underperformed. But, you know, as we talked about last week, like, it's hard to blame him really for the club's sort of basic inability to play defense at various times. It's hard to blame him for the fact that the guys they spent a ton of money on uh, this offseason have not been particularly effective uh, as hitters. Uh, You know, it's hard to blame him for the construction of the bullpen. But, that's sort of the job, right? It's like if you're a big league manager, you get blamed when things go wrong. And so he, you know, kind of took the hit. You said it in your column, Andy. Managers get hired to get fired. I mean, every single one of them knows how this bargain is probably going to end. The probabilities are you will be fired. Like there's not many happy endings in that profession, right? So especially when you're given a very problematic roster, especially when you are working for an organization that seems to culturally still not have figured out how to identify people to run the organization the right way, still haven't found the people to draft and develop the players and get them ready to contribute at the major league level so that you can trust the younger players sooner. And I think their you know, bullpen problems in particular are emblematic of all of this because you know most teams right like you look in the bullpen there's going to be that washed out starter like maybe it was like an eighth rounder or whatever who throws hard that couldn't cut it as a starter and you know you get a couple of those that end up in your bullpen right you know the Phillies have had such a hard time with development that it, it's hard to find those guys and then so you end up with like Jaris Familia and folks like that where you're signing them to a free agent deal like maybe they've had success in the past and if it doesn't go perfect 
you're in trouble. So really difficult for Joe Girardi to overcome that. I will say that, you know, when you're talking about energy level, and I think you alluded to this last week in the pod, right? There had been a story out there kind of talking about how they didn't look like they were having very much fun. Like, I think that's not a reason to fire somebody, but it's not nothing either. And I think that's something Girardi knows too, at the end of the day. Like he, like you said, he's a grown up. This is what happens when the team underperforms and you pay that much money for the pleasure of doing so, you know, and to quote your column again, uh, managers get hired to get fired. And so uh, not a happy ending, but also not entirely unpredictable. Yeah. Wow. What a good column. As I wrote in the column and as I sort of mentioned last week even like you you can sell me on the idea that someone like joe girardi who's a pretty you know straight-laced serious guy might not be the best personality to manage a club that you know gives the other team four or five outs uh you know once a game in in various innings like you know he might be holding the reins a little too tight he might not be but then it's like okay so you need to be like a happy-go-lucky fellow because your team doesn't play defense i mean that doesn't seem particularly fair it just you know it's just one of those things that uh it was clearly not working out you know you got to push someone overboard and in situations like this if you can't push the hitting coach overboard you can't push the pitching coach overboard you push the manager overboard and so um you know we'll see if the Phillies turn it around they certainly look like they can hit at various times but part of the reason is they're playing the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim who as of last night have lost 12 in a row a really steep decline after you know they inspired many stories in sort of April and early May about how great it would be to finally see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in the playoffs and now it appears they are uh, you know, drifting yet again towards 81 wins, uh, 80 wins, which is sort of, you know, their zone. Uh, what, what have you made of kind of what's been going on with the Angels the last two weeks? No, who could have seen this coming? No, it's it's, <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah, it, it really kind of sucks, actually, because I want to see those guys in the postseason. And, you know, Sam Blum, our Angels writer, is also um, over the weekend doing some work with the Phillies, obviously. I thought he wrote something really smart on Monday morning because you've got two franchises that are, you know, intersecting, right? They're parallel also. I think both of them have the same problem. It's that they've got this ticking clock, right? Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and Shohei Otani, like you only have those guys in their prime for a certain amount of time, right? I think Otani, that's a contractual thing, and Trout and Harper, that's an age thing, right? Part of their careers. There's immense pressure, I think, on both of those organizations to make something out of this time. And both of them have just failed in that regard. I think the thing that kind of underpins all of the discussion about these two teams in particular, right? And I think especially with the Angels is that They've got once-in-a-lifetime generational talent. I mean, heck, the Angels, you could say talent. And they have done remarkably little with it. Uh, hey, I tell you, two managers who are going to have to really do something interesting to get fired is uh, Aaron Boone and Buck Showalter. Because the New York Mets and the New York Yankees, Yank, New York Mankeys, that's, a, that's the men on the Yankees. The An Mankeys. expansion team? The, <laughs> the Mets and the Yankees, as of right now on Tuesday, June 7th, have the two best records in baseball. And you could argue, and some might, that they're the two best teams in baseball. So what I would like to know, Mark, is that good for baseball? Sure. 
because you're looking at two teams that have spent a bunch of money on good players. Why not? Like now they happen to play both in New York City and that's going to irk the rest of the country and I can understand that. But, you know, at least they've come at it the right way. I mean, you've got two teams that have accumulated really good ball players and have paid a premium to do it and they're having success. Um, so if you take New York out of the, of the equation and I just told you that, right? Two franchises have spent money to bring good players into the fold and have let them do their thing. Well, you'd be like, sign me up. That's great. Now, because, you know, the two ballparks are linked by subway, it's going to like repulse a lot of people, which I totally get. But all told, I think is great for baseball. I think it's always good for the sport when the biggest market has competitive teams. And, you know, now I live in the area. Okay. So there's clearly there's a bias here, but I, I think it is awesome when both of them are really good. Like the town feels different. It is, you hear it constantly. Like, I think a lot of places, football has supplanted baseball, obviously, as the thing. I think that's different here. I actually think when both teams are good, baseball is on equal standing with football, which is a difficult thing to comprehend in most American major cities that have both football and baseball teams. When baseball is good here, it is like an obsession. And well, it's I think on equal it's standing with the Knicks. But yes, what? <laughs> it's what not even standing with the Knicks. So they're, they're all ahead of football in New York. Football's well, yeah, well, like yeah, football dreadful here. But yeah, so like, or the Rangers even like when they like they're doing what they do. Right. But, you know, it's, it's special. So I think it's good for the sport. And I think, you know, you want those franchises to be healthy. And, and speaking of the Knicks, right, um, you know, because of the way the NBA is structured, I don't think it hurts them as much. But I mean, would the league be better off if that the Knicks were like competitive? And good as they had been, of course they would be, right? Like whatever they're, I think the league is great now. They'd be even better. So I think with baseball, I think 100%. Like look at when those teams go on the road, the Yankees and Mets. Like the crowds that they draw, right? Like, I mean, it, you know, I think again, when you say New York to people outside of New York, like you're just, that there's an ick factor to it, right? Like, oh, they get everything. They spend money, just win everything. But when you go and watch those teams play on the road, they're attracting all of these people to the park that normally wouldn't be there. And like, I think, is that good for the sport? Absolutely it is. Well, I think in a macro sense, of course it is, right? It's just more eyeballs, more attention, you know, all that sort of stuff. What, what I wonder about, and I, I, don't have, I don't have the right answer for this, is just how you sell continued interest in the sport in markets where teams either don't have the financial advantages based on, you know, the TV revenue, the ticket revenue, all that sort of stuff, or where their owners are choosing not to wield it, you know, in, in ways that they could. And like, you have to be a well-run team, even if you're spending a ton of money, as we've seen, you know, in, in various years with the Red Sox, as we see with the Phillies, as we see with the Angels, you can't just throw money at every problem. What the things that the Yankees and the Dodgers, you know, the other kind of two like uh, behemoths of this sort of era have done is they've combined, you know, good infrastructure with prolific spending. The Mets are trying to join that. And now that they have new ownership under Steve Cohen, you know, they have a, have a shot at it. But, the, but like, how do you sell continued interest in the sport in Cincinnati, in Kansas City, in Pittsburgh, in Baltimore, when you're always going to have these Goliaths? Look, we are the only pro-labor podcast. Everyone else... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else, management stooges. We are the last pro-labor podcast. But I get messages from fans saying, why can't there be – there should be a salary cap. 
And I don't really know what the response is other than, no, no, the owners should try harder. But there's really no recourse to get them to try harder. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Let's look at it from a historical lens. I think the world you just described has always been the sport. Like, tell me when in baseball you've had every team competing to win. Never is the answer. Even in the good old days when it was 8-8, eight and eight, eight teams American League, eight teams National League. You know who's horrible for like 120 years? The Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies, baby. Terrible for like a century. Terrible. Chicago Cubs, terrible. St. Louis Browns, so terrible they became the Orioles. All right. <laughs> Washington Senators, so terrible they became twins. Like, you know, we can go on and on. The Philadelphia Athletics, right? Like, so they'd won world championships. They also led the league in last place finishes. So I, I think the sport has always been this way. This is not new. There has always been an element of teams that, in, in those days, I think rather than it being a strategic financial decision, a lot of times it was because the owner of the team, and this is the case with Connie Mack, the team was their only asset. They had to operate this way to survive. The Brooklyn Dodgers were this way for many, many years. This is all they had. So once players got expensive, they had to sell them to keep control of the club, right? I think it's obviously less excusable now. That's a difference, right? Like there's actually the structure is in place where you don't necessarily have to do this all the time. Like there's a revenue share, which is a concept that did not exist for most of the history of the sport. But yeah, by and large though, this has always been the way the sport's been run. I just think it's less easy to justify it now. I mean, sometimes back, especially back then, <laughs> it was sheer incompetence. Like think about like, just how developed the sport is now as far as just straight-up decision-making. Like, even in the last 30 years, what that's looked like. Before that, when you read accounts of the game and the sport and how it was run, man, it is, like, very much like small businesses, right? <laughs> like, with all the quirks and weirdness that come with that. And, like, the Phillies, that was the case. Like, they've had their run of, like, weird owners that did weird things. Um, the Chicago Cubs were owned by people that didn't think it was that important to win or try. We've always had that. Always. And so I don't know what the answer is there either, especially now that, like, you know, I, I think it's less excusable to do that. Not, it was ex not that it was excusable back then, but at least I feel like the explanations are pretty straightforward, right? There's only 16 teams and not all of them are going to be run well, okay? And not all of them are going to be owned by rich guys that have something else besides their team. Well, that's not the case anymore. I don't know what the answer is, though, to your question, Andy. I, I don't know how you keep Cincinnati engaged, especially when you've got an owner going out there saying, and at least he's saying the quiet part out loud, as Trent wrote, Trent Rosecrans wrote, where else are they going to go? <laughs> you know? You need the small market teams to run with the sort of competence that, like, the Rays and the Brewers have found. And up until this current era, we might have even included the A's in that. They seem to have uh, just completely punted on that. But the, that was sort of a hallmark of them for, you know, 25 years or whatever. And for the, like, mid-market teams or whatever, this, you know, you, you follow the example of, like, the Astros or the Cardinals. Now, by the way, like, those teams uh, are mid-market in name only. I mean, Houston's got a ton of people who live there, and St. Louis has a you know a massive fan base, so you could even argue that they should be spending more than they do. But they have found a way through uh, like player development combined with you know a pretty decent amount of spending 
um, to remain competitive. I think, you know, San Diego is in a similar sort of spot where like they built up the farm and then they've thrown a ton of money at it. Uh, it's just a matter of like sustaining that. So it's not, it's not completely hopeless. It just involves a degree of difficulty, which like, I guess that's life, right? Yeah. I mean, degree of difficulty is exactly right. And like, and by the way, the two clubs that you mentioned as the bastions for this type of thinking haven't won a World Series yet doing it this way. Milwaukee and Tampa Bay have not won a World Series, right? So it just tells you how difficult it is, even for the clubs that are doing it very, very well. And so to get back to the New York thing, right? Like given that, that this is the way it's always been, I don't know why there should be any element of them being apologetic for it. I mean, like this is the this is the the world they live in. And and by the way, right, like you and I have both covered the Mets. Like we also know that the market is not a guarantee for competence. Right. And like for for many, many years over there, we saw that play out over and over and over again. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Which team do you think is better, the Mets or the Yankees? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I actually think it's the Mets. Ooh. Yeah, because, you know, I said this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out two tweets. The first one was in spring training when uh, DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom went down. And so there's a lot of, like, you know, Mets fans are in their morning gowns already, right? They're all wearing black, like the season's over. And I'm just like, and this is from someone who's observed that franchise for a little bit. The thing I have been struck by from day one like once the offseason was over, was I can't remember the last time they had this many good quality major league players. A lot of good players. They're everywhere, right? And so like I'm watching the game on Monday night. Blake Snell's on the mound. And as we know, like Blake Snell's a great pitcher. He's also prone to having those games where he cannot find the strike zone. He's going to walk a bunch of dudes. The command is not good. That's always kind of been the thing with him, right? So he's having one of those nights. So, you know, for that context. Now that said... The Mets were putting up these incredible at-bats 
over and over and over again, right? Top to bottom, quality at bats. And it wasn't just this one game. So during the game, I'm looking this up. And it's like, there isn't a team in baseball that is better after getting through an 0-2 count than the Mets. In fact, their on-base is 40 points higher in after an 0-2 count than the rest of the league's average. Like, that's crazy to be that much better at it. And like, 233 is what it is, or at least going into last night. That's not a great number, like, when you think about on-base. But when you think of it in the context of after an 0-2, that's unbelievable. Anything over 200 is unbelievable there at 233. So... You know, then you look at what they are behind the count. They're best, one of the best teams in the league at that too. It just, to me, exhibits the depth of the talent that they have, right? And we've seen this with their pitching too. Like that's always been a thing with the Mets is that like you know, one to five, maybe they're pretty good, but like okay, what's seven, eight, nine look like? Well, right now seven, eight, nine are looking pretty darn solid. So I think Tim Britton wrote this the other day. They've got guys in their bullpen contributing right now that weren't on the forty in spring training. They're doing all the things that a well-run team is supposed to do. They signed good players. They took character into account, I think, because like all of these guys had reputations for being good clubhouse people too. Mark Canna, Escobar, right? Like really solid presences, right? And then depth with the pitching staff. You're, you're finding guys that people have discarded. And then you've got a manager that's in there setting a tone, right? Like we've talked about managers a lot on this pod, but like, man, Buck Showalter, right? Like, this feels like such a good fit. He's this very detail-oriented straight-laced, kind of that opposite of what Girardi had in Philly. This is a good fit. This is the grown-up in the room, and he has taken every opportunity to show that. Yeah, like I would say the Mets are better. Now, I told you I would call out two tweets. Here's the second tweet on opening day. I said this. This is a Subway Series here. Because, you know, the Yankees, right, have also been impressive, obviously. And Aaron Judge looks like he's made the right call i guess like he this is a bet on yourself season and oh my god right like it couldn't be going any better but anyway like i'd give the mets the nudge there just because maybe it's a bias i've seen them a little bit more but i'm so impressed with the at bats like quality at bats all the time every day one through nine and it is unlike anything i've seen over there um, in the whole time i've been watching him close yeah i think it's close i think the yankees are better um i think their their strength is better than anything that the Mets have as a strength, their ability to pitch is just uh, is pretty is a is a separator, and I think that will play in October if they get there. Uh, I think they also have, at least in the case of Judge, a superstar hitter who can shrink the zone in October, uh, which is going to be an interesting challenge for Pete Alonso because he's obviously having a great year and is a great hitter. That's not something he's really had to deal with yet. Yeah, but I think their their lineup it's not as deep, but it's it's got more star power. The idea of Judge and Stanton and Stanton has hit in the postseason is more of a threat than anyone the Mets have. Uh, obviously, Alonzo's hitting great, but there isn't. The Mets are a, a bat away, I think. Um, but the Yankees might be a bat away. I don't know. It's gonna be curious to see who gets moved at the deadline and and where, because obviously the Dodgers will be in the mix. And all these clubs can kind of use one more stick. And there's not a ton of obvious players to move outside of Wilson Contreras, who would make a ton of sense on the Mets and might vault them over. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense with everybody because it seems like right. when you look he's, at the catcher the position. catcher in baseball, yeah. yeah. And he hits, he rakes. <laughs> he makes like, sense on the Yankees too, I guess. Right? Absolutely, yeah. right. Because actually, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, we're talking about really good teams and you look at what they're getting out of catcher. And again, this has historically been the case, right? 
But like, it seems like that's a position where all the stuff having to do with the pitchers is really dominated. Blocking, framing, calling a game. Like, I think maybe that's a product of people just having better ways to measure that sort of thing. Yeah, Wilson Contreras could be very, very interesting, you know, for a lot of clubs, including the ones in New York. But like, this is not a big difference between these two clubs. I will say about the Yankees, right? Like you're talking about some of the bats in that lineup. DJ LeMahieu hasn't gotten going yet. And that is a dude to me that is critical for them. Like, I think, you know, it's impressive that they've done this really without him being himself. And if he can get going, just given where they usually slot him in the lineup and, like, you know, where he plays, obviously, you know, when you're talking about adding that bat later on, maybe it's him. You know, we've seen it already in his time with the Yankees, right? Like, when he's going, that's a whole different look. He's one of those types of hitters in the lineup. So perhaps that's the bat that they add, is that just watching this guy kind of go back to form. Right. I mean, man, it's like making a big trade acquisition at the deadline, right? They oh, my God. Like, you just uh, went into, uh, like, faux GM mode right there. That's oh, the worst. That, I hate the that. Worst. When, when, when a guy is coming back from, like, the injured list and they're like, oh, it'll be like making a huge acquisition at the deadline. It's like, or it'll be adding a guy who was just hurt and you have no idea what he's going to do. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's not what it'll be like. Actually, it might be the exact opposite. You should fish your quarter zip out, your team issued quarter zip, and like say that in front of a microphone. Like yeah, you'd exactly. People. Yeah, pay me a million dollars. I can, I can do that. All right, last topic. The Rays found a way to botch Pride Night. The team was wearing sort of a, a patch for Pride Night. I believe it was Saturday, and several players decided to opt out of uh, this and not wear the patch and find a way to use the sort of occasion for inclusion to be the exact opposite. Mark, your thoughts. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> My <laughs> thoughts are, that's terrible. What are, we, what are we doing? Man, like, so first of all, right, like, I, I think it's great. You do Pride Night, you're trying to be inclusive. I think that's a really important statement to make to your community. Um, I also think as an organization, like, how do you not know this is coming? Like, if you know that you're going to, put patches on uniform like this might be problematic especially given the comp you know when you look at who plays the sport at this level all right like i mean you know the fact that this could have been an issue should not be a shock to anybody involved in the industry okay period let's just say it that way you got to find out you know because like what you don't want is this like they hijacked like this like protest hijacked um the whole point of this and like i think i resent the fact that these guys are out here Two of them have spoken, and they're just saying completely contradictory things. These stupid arguments are being treated like they're arguments, like this is like legitimate thoughts to have. You know, like it's turned into, oh, let people think what they want to think. And it's just like, you know what? I'm not sure that homophobia is a philosophy. I don't think that's a thought that's worth entertaining. I think it should be marginalized. I think it should be mocked, not taken seriously in any way. And so just even in the discourse, I, I just, I, it's remarkable to me that that stuff can be taken seriously in any way, shape, or form. So I, it's really frustrating. Um, it's sad that like clubs have to think of it that way, but they do. Should have known that this might be happening. And let's not like put people in position to turn a night that's supposed to be you know, about inclusion and basically make it a way to slap that community across the face again. We talked a lot like in the summer of 2020 about kind of like the the meaning and the efficacy of like corporations, you know, like a major league baseball team, like embracing the slogans of social justice. And we we're, you know, we we're asking the question, like, does it mean anything if MLB prints 
Black Lives Matter on the mound at a time when like the executive class is Lily White and the chances to get into the draft in the minor league system are being cut, you know, for, you know, players of color. Like, do these words like even really matter, you know? And like, it's, so it's easy for me to be like cynical about that. Like, and I, cause I come to that position like through privilege. Like I'm a straight white lapsed Catholic man. I never struggled to find representation when I watched TV growing up. Like they had home improvement on TV. Every show was people who looked like me, who thought the way I did, you know, about relationships or whatever, right? Like, I never wondered uh, why all the people in the press box looked differently than I did. You know, I never had to think about inclusion because people like me have been included since whenever in the 18th century they decided it was okay to be Irish in America, right? Like, whenever that, we passed that checklist. So I look at something like Pride Night and I'm like, well, you know, like that's... I don't know. I don't know if that makes a ton of difference based on, you know, like the actual stuff that's going on in terms of legislation, um, you know, with the LGBT community in various states. But like if you talk to people, if you talk to folks, like if you listen to the LGBT community, like you might actually hear something different. You might hear that like, hey, this doesn't solve everything, but it is nice. You know, it's nice to see teams at least making a gesture. It's nice to show that they're actually trying to, you know, make some sort of foray into saying like hey you are welcome here like even if it's just this you know for like pride month even if it's just for one night where you know wearing this thing and so like what's so disheartening is just, just like this is pretty close to the bare minimum of how people should treat each other you know the sort of like dignity that we should afford one another the rays like didn't ask their players to you know renounce whatever beliefs you know they have about this as backward as you and i might find them you know they just asked them to like wear this patch like wear this patch so that for one day maybe some folks who have a different lived experience you know might feel a little more welcome than they might otherwise based on you know what it's like to be a person who you know again like had a different life than you do and these guys couldn't do it and like that just sucks like it just it's just like it's the bare minimum and it's still like too much Uh, it's tough man it's irritating you know, because now you get the public discourse and, and it's all going to be framed as these people, you can't just control their thoughts. They should be able to think what they want to think and all that. And I, all I want to say is like, I don't know, Colin Kaepernick, right? Colin Kaepernick just wanted to think what he thought <laughs> and he expressed it in a certain way. And these very same people that are defending these dudes were crushing Colin Kaepernick. You know, I think I'm over the hypocrisy of the whole thing. Like this comes down to, you know, a pretty basic thing, right? Like this is a community that ought to be, you know, ought to be treated with like dignity, for God's sake, like, and, and not have this thing that is meant to, you know, signal inclusion and have it turned into something that, frankly, has signaled like a level of hate, a level of like no tolerance for it. Like I just, it's a gross situation that was avoidable, you know. But also, like, I'm glad it wasn't avoided. I guess because this is a reminder that this is still the nonsense that we face. Yeah, but you know what though, like for people like for people who aren't like us, like for people, you know, for like people who are in that community, like they I don't know if they need a reminder. You're right. You know, it's You're like right. it's like in the part of me, we talked about this with, you know, with Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson, you know, it's like it's good to, you know, shine sunlight on this and it's like Tim Anderson doesn't need to explain what it feels like to be Tim Anderson in America anymore. He shouldn't have to have to explain that all the time. I don't know. That's the frustrating part is like it is maybe helpful for people who have a more comfortable 
existence to see, wow, there is still a lot of prejudice out there. And wow, you know, there is still a lot of places that uh, where various people might feel uncomfortable. But like for the people who are going through that, they don't need reminders. This is their life. Now you're you right. Know? You're and right. you don't see this, you know, like, as you said, with Colin Kaepernick, you don't see anyone protesting, you know, American uh, adventurism abroad by refusing to wear, you know, the camo caps or, you know, protesting police brutality by refusing to take BP in an LAPD cap like the Dodgers used to do. You know, it's like it's all it's a, it's very clear, like, I don't know, it just sucks. It just sucks. Well, you know, if we go just on a straight statistical basis, there is probably you know, gay players playing the sport right now. There might be gay players in that clubhouse. I just think, like, what a horrible message to send. Just a horrible message to send. Like, this whole situation just makes me sad. And then, you know, now, a couple days after the fact, I think one of the relievers issued a statement that was more of the same word salad crap that we saw initially. Like, it's just the same nonsense. And it's like, it's really sad to see and sad to hear. It feels backward and terrible. It's one of those, like, Basically, the statement said something effective like, in no way did I, you know, in, in like support homophobia. Like, well, it's like, well, then just wear the stupid patch. That's what the patch says. That's it. Yeah. But, you know, like, that's the thing. That's what. For uh, one day. One day. For one day. But I think to issue statements like that, like, says a lot about, like, the intended audience, to be honest. Like, it just tells. It just, like, when I read that, it's like, do you honestly think I'm fucking stupid enough to buy this bullshit? Enough, uncle. The only real victims of cancel culture was beyond the scrum. So, <laughs> because you quit. <laughs> I did quit. You did I quit. did abruptly. But you're back. You're back. You abruptly back, left, but now you're back. Uh, it was good to rehash our, our old pod. Grant will be back next week, hopefully. Right? I hope so. I don't know. He's on vacation. I can't contact him. I have no idea where he is. Where do you think Grant is right now? Man, he's out of the basement. I bet you he's a staycation guy. I bet you he went nowhere. You think he's still in the basement? Yeah, well, I mean, he might have come upstairs. <laughs> maybe. Once. Maybe. Maybe. Uh. Anyway, we will be back next week. We'll be chatting ball. As always, thank you for listening. Please rate and review us on the internet.